my friend Maggie Farris says, you know, what would you do if you were 10% braver? And some of the things work with leaders about, there are things that face us all that we actually need to push into a little bit more. And the spirit of that is to really benefit and maximise um, our relationship. And I think that's important. That was today's guest, founder of the Brown Collective and experienced educational leader, Dr. Stephen Brown. And you're listening to episode number 21 of the Teacher's Guide podcast. Gentlemen, what are the four pillars? Now you all remember how scary your first days at school were. You've done messed up, A.A. Ron! Hello and welcome to the Teacher's Guide podcast. Thank you very much for tuning in. My name is Zach Woodward. I'm a primary school teacher from Brisbane, Australia, and I will be your host each week. The aim of this podcast is to provide information and experiences that will help all teachers to thrive in their role, particularly aimed at beginner teachers and those who are aspiring to one day join the teaching profession. We like each episode to be short and to the point, so let's get into it. Today's guest, Dr. Stephen Brown, has over 30 years experience of teaching and leading in schools all around the world. A number of years ago, he founded an organization called the Brown Collective, and they coach school principals and other educational leaders in how to be the most effective and authentic leaders in their school communities. So I thought it would be a good idea to bring Dr. Stephen onto the show today and ask him some questions about how teachers at all levels of their teaching career can build their own leadership skills. I started off the interview by asking Dr. Stephen to tell us what we as teachers should be looking for and trying to learn from our own school leaders. Some of the things that, uh, just talking to a colleague of mine recently, uh, framing it in a way that probably all of us, regardless of phase of our career, we probably need to uh, be the best versions of ourselves we can be. And uh, to that end, I think um, being and staying curious is probably one of those things. Mm. um, Looking for... um, and understanding and leading through questions rather than uh, knowing it all and having all the answers, and and that's uh, improbable. So I guess if we follow that line of thinking that we're continually uh, going to aspire to it but never ever actually reach that whole quest for uh, perfection, and we'll talk about that later, I guess. Mm. So bringing a curious mindset... um, to our work on a regular basis and learning from others. Um, I think one of the key things that we do understand is that um, good role models, good mentors, um, good others bring uh, further wisdom and uh, contribute to our practice. So Mm. that's the base function of our our human being. I guess the second one is inviting comment. Um, In other words, we can say that inviting uh, feedback, uh, inviting comment and uh, being open to it. Uh, It's something that if uh, working with leaders and teachers, I think it's probably the worst and uh, most valuable thing that you can receive, but probably uh, the one thing that uh, people find difficult to do Mm. or in an adequate way, in a suitable way uh, and for various reasons and that's Mm. another discussion. 
Yeah. The other one is this whole question of connection, being connected to uh, your values, you, yourself, and have an understanding, a consciousness of who you are and what drives you and what motivates you mm. and looking at others. Um, mm. Connecting to others, and this goes back to what I said before in my opening statement, being curious and being connected to others. And uh, I think they're the things that I think are base things that I see when I'm looking at this whole question of learning because Mm. the pursuit of excellence is an ongoing uh, aspiration but never to be achieved but always aspired to. Mm. For sure. And when you say to invite comments from leaders in the school, that, that can be nerve-wracking for a, a, te- a teacher at any stage of their career. Um, should teachers be um, nervous about asking for feedback from principals and deputy principals? Um, I, I guess I'm getting to the sense of what there is to fear. And I think somebody said it to me the other day when people, I was working with a leadership team and there was an obvious issue in the room. The elephant was firmly dead in the room and nobody actually was actually owning it or referring to it, but everybody knew it was there. And I guess analogously it's dealing with that elephant first because once you deal with it or you actually are going to ever only get good out of that. There's going to be something better that actually arises out of that. That's my firm belief. And that Mm. was when that happened with that leadership team, it actually provided another opportunity for growth and further formation. And I think that's what sometimes we assume that all negative feedback's negative. And I Mm. think uh, craving that feedback uh, having that desire to be better in a developmental way mm. is very healthy. Um, mm. I understand the trepidation uh, to a point, but um, inviting and uh, inviting people in to say, witness your journey and help you along the journey, I think is very, very important. Um, mm. Yeah, yeah, no, certainly. And it also, something else I've heard you talk about is uh, maximizing relationships. And I think when we ask, our leaders for feedback, it, it builds that relationship between ourselves as teachers and, and them as leaders. And and could you tell us a bit about what you mean by practicing the skill of maximizing relationships? So, how can a teacher do that on a day-to-day basis with students, parents, colleagues and, and leaders in their school? I think one of the things also maximizing relationships is this ability, uh, building on what we talked about before in terms of feedback, is this notion of being a little bit more courageous. Um, mm. My friend Maggie Farris says, you know, what would you do if you were 10% braver and some of the things mm. we work with leaders about. There are things that face us all that we actually need to push into a little bit more. And mm. The spirit of that is to really benefit and maximise um, our relationship and I think that's important. Um, mm. and yeah, and, and what you said there about what would you do if you were 10% braver, I think back on, so I've been teaching for five years now and I think back on the first few years, there, there were some relationships with colleagues and, and other students and parents and if I was 10% braver, I think I could have uh, dealt with some situations a little bit better than I did. So, that's a good question to ask. What would you do if you were 10% braver? Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Zach, and one of the things that we get consistently is this whole question about some performance or difficult conversations. And uh, mm. 
colleagues like yours uh, ask that particular question, um, what's the most difficult conversation that you've ever been involved with in terms of, uh, you know, developing a relationship? And that particular individual said to me, the one I never had, mm. which back to what you said, that sense of uh, stepping into it a bit more, not with... Um, not being 10% sillier, but uh, 10% braver in terms of doing things that are going to be not for your benefit but the benefit of our students. Mm. Yeah, definitely. And and you mentioned being self-aware in, in our relationships, so building self-awareness. And, and part of that, uh, I, I know a skill lots of people speak about is to be self-reflective and some people keep journals. I, I even know someone who records himself at the end of every day after teaching. He records himself saying what he did well and what he could do better. Are there particular skills you teach for being a self-reflective educator, a self-reflective person in our, in our everyday lives? Yeah, I mean, I've written about this uh, piece on LinkedIn, which is about mm. questions to lead by. And I think uh, the fundamental piece, if you look at Stanford University's work, for example, the best uh, CEOs, uh, arguably, have a capacity, 85% of the respondents said, the ability to self-reflect mm. and the ability to say, this is what I've done well, This is these are the areas that I continue to be interested in developing in, and I'm a little bit more curious about. Um, I guess there are some questions to lead by that uh, perhaps on a daily basis may be a reframe that um, could be used by teachers or consciously or consciously. The best um, reflection is done probably informally. Mm. Um, as you're sitting down, as you're watching something, hopefully not as you're driving home from school. Um, yeah. So I guess cutting back to uh, what I talked about previously, uh, how curious was I today? Mm. How many real questions did I ask? Mm. How many real conversations did I have and how far was I able to reveal my, reveal my true self? Who and what is helping me to become a better leader and then more teacher and I'm acknowledging that? Who did I reach out to today that I, I thought about speaking to and I put that off. Um, mm. How did I show up as the best version of myself for my students today? Mm. Was I prepared? Was I focused on what I should have done? Mm. The question that I have in that LinkedIn article is a refrain, which is before I start each day, where did I think my purpose was and where did I place, where was my attention and what gained my attention? So okay. where did I start out with my intention and what gained my attention? Yeah. Sometimes we have this great intention and we get taken off course by the thing that gains our immediate attention. So, mm. And if something if something comes to our attention at the start of the day without being self-reflective, it can sort of ruin our whole day. If, if something bad happens in the morning, it can put us off track for the rest of the day. So, that's something to, that's really important to be aware of. Yeah, and how you actually, that emotional regulation, how do you draw back into yourself and say, okay, um, how do I discern, work through that, put it in a place, uh, come back and we're all profoundly human and that's 
that's an art form we continue to try to embrace. But mm. so uh, I guess for me is actually where do you actually uh, building on what I talked about before curiosity and a bit what um, invitation or comment. Mm. Um, asking colleagues, for example, where do you see me at my best? What do I do well? Mm. Uh, what do you think I do? That's a, my pedagogical gift if I'm a teacher. What would you like to learn from me? Mm. Uh, what do you think's limiting my progress? Where, how could you think I could push uh, a little bit further and grow a little bit more? So, um, just being really um, open to learning and let the questions do your heavy lifting. Mm. So your questions to lead by are the questions that will enable your further growth and development and act as points of uh, reflection. Mm. Excellent. And uh, and I will, I will put all those questions in the show notes as well. So for people listening who didn't get to write all those down, they'll, they'll be in the show notes for us, to, for us to look at. So we've spoken a bit about being self-reflective and maximizing relationships and that's one element of our teaching profession. And the other part is professional fluency, and I've seen you write about this and, and heard you speak about it before. Can you tell us a bit about, well, firstly, what is professional fluency, and then as teachers, how can we constantly be aware of improving that in our own practice? Yeah, thanks, Zach. It's something that's an idea that uh, when I worked um, in the, about 2007 uh, with Howard Gardner from Harvard University, um, and part of uh, his work, many works, is Five Minds for the Future. And I've written about this being one of the most influential pieces of work for me as, as I've developed uh, as a leader and uh, as, as an educator. But one of the things he talks about um, where I ground this idea of professional fluency, uh, a profession needs to have a practice. And a profession without a practice is not a profession. So uh, I'm a very uh, loyal and uh, strident supporter. I'm, I'm a, a teacher and educator professional, as you are. Mm. Um, so my uh, challenge, and the challenge is all in the profession, yeah, we've got some magnificent skills and we've got some great educators here and around the world who continue to be uh, refining and uh, growing our practices, the things that matter mm. in terms of our uh, teaching uh, uh, skills. And much of those things are formed throughout a career rather than what we've automatically got in the first couple of years of teaching, mm. the artfulness of Socratic questions, um, how do we actually engage uh, kids who, who have ways of, of thinking and being, how do we invite comments? Um, 90% of classroom practice, or sorry, 70% of classroom teachers' questions are answered by teachers, for example. So mm. how do we actually um, get very much fluent and uh, about what our practice, our practice as teachers are described by the Aitzel standard, for example. It, mm -hmm. it gives a, a fairly good framework in terms of what our profession is on about. Mm. It's up to me as a professional to continue to refine what I do. That might be the same as you, Zach, in terms of a zone of uh, what we talk about proximal development, but it may be far different for other people. So mm. 
Fluency is about doing um, and being the things that are needed to be to maximise the opportunity for our students regardless of who they are. Mm. And it's interesting you mentioned the ATSL standards ATSL standards there as well. I think they're, they're well worth reading every now and then just for us teachers to remind ourselves of exactly what profession we're in because there's dot points in there that I hadn't thought about in my teaching practice for quite some time. Uh, so I think it's really important we continually read those and make sure that we as teachers are developing each of those standards to help us and our students. Absolutely. Um, mm. You know, it, it cuts to, you know, doctors have Socratic oaths, uh, accountants have um, regulation by boards, etc. We have a, a regulatory framework from the Board of uh, Teacher Registration, a standard, I'm a proud educator as you are. Mm. I want to be and uh, the best I can be and I want to do the best I can, which means I need to be, if I'm not so good at something that's part of accepted professional practice, then I need to actually incumbent on me to try and refine that practice. So mm. that's what I spent my life doing and I uh, continue to do. Um, and I'm not so good about a range of things and I'm continuing to try to improve those things. Mm. Yep. Yeah, no, that's that's a good way to be, to always be aware of what we're good at and what we need improvement in. And one of the skills that, that we look for in educational leaders, especially, is resilience. And I've seen recently, I've seen the leaders in my school have to make some really tough decisions, mainly around COVID and how that's affected our learning. And I know that those decisions have been tough on them and, and they need to be resilient with... Uh, some of the the fallout that comes from that. So, how can we, throughout our profession, build those skills of resilience? How can you build that? I think um, it's just the ability. I think teachers, by nature, have a pretty good uh, ability, innate ability, to actually uh, deal with changing circumstance, and that's part mm. of resilience. So. I think resilience sometimes can be expressed as the ability to bounce, not not physically, but bounce mm. back and bounce yes. forward into the next thing. So I guess um, for me it's having a breadth of experience, building a capability, establishing a network uh, which includes really good mentors, coaches, uh, trusted colleagues, mm. um, pushing yourself to do things that not necessarily are safe and uh, things you know about and are your sweet spot, um, Mm. the things uh, that arm you, I guess, professionally to have uh, a a greater experience. Um, Get out of your comfort zone. Um, I think uh, take on things that perhaps others may not. Um, Mm. Look for something from an experiential base rather than uh, this is going to help me in my next promotion. This is actually going to develop me as a person, as a leader. And I think that whole network around you, uh, no person can actually uh, do the art of um, education uh, Mm -hmm. alone. It's constructed by nature through students uh, and relationships that we talked before. So... Mm being very, very good at your emotional um, development, um, your self-awareness and getting that feedback and experience and um, experiencing new things and 
I think it's important to have really good mentors and um, mm. people who actually are going to give you um, support as well as challenge. Mm. And with, with mentoring, uh, going back to something you said uh, earlier about asking real questions. And so, when we have a mentor, uh, are there any examples of uh, almost leading questions we should be asking our mentors to help us develop? Um, I think mentors, well, I know by definition the best mentoring relationship is, uh, well, it has a um, reciprocity in terms of it benefits not only the mentor but obviously the mentee. So Mm. coming into any relationship uh, as a mentee with a mentor, um, having a, a conversation which is about what you're looking for, what it, what do you want uh, from a mentor? And I, I guess I'd really encourage people to be very selfish about that and say, okay. well, this is really what I'm craving, this is what I'm looking for. Mm. Um, Jim Collins once expressed it as um, good leaders and good teachers need to be good uh, hoovers, probably these days, Dyson's. So. Yeah. Yeah. Um, every interaction you meet, what can you gain from that? What can you yes. actually hoover up out of that? Because um, so approaching a mentor and formulating or formalising a mentor relationship, I think it's critical that you get in that self-reflective process and say, well, what do I need to know? Um and then noticing the potential mentor, typically what happens in workplaces is that your next line manager that is your mentor. Mm. That's one form of mentoring. But there are other people you might meet uh, that would fit that broad category of mentor. So I met a guy who is and his wife in Italy two years ago uh, successful, very successful in business. And we met at an Italian cafe mm-hmm. just because we're Australians. Yeah. That's hard to tell in Italy, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. So we just sat down and had yarn. And uh, yeah. I talked to him the other day and I still recount some of those uh, memorable moments, wisdom where he said, well, you know, uh, find what you're good at and stick to it and really make sure you're the best at it and, you know, many other things he, he sort of transacted with me. But mm. we've continued to grow that relationship and at my stage of life and what I'm doing professionally, mm. personally, that's been really a benefit. He's not my line manager. No. person that I think, well, I can learn from you and I think yeah. that's the mindset we need to bring. Yeah, wow. Well, yeah, that, that's great. If you can learn from someone you've met in a cafe in Italy, then you can learn from anyone. That's That's great. And so, Stephen, as we as we wrap things up today, can you tell us a little bit about the work you do with the Brown Collective and, and also some trends you might be seeing in education around Australia and around the world and, and what you think teachers should be aware of in those trends that you're seeing? Yeah, um, thanks, Zach. We, we do three areas of work, one of which is leadership capacity or capability building, and so we work from teacher leadership right through to system-level leadership. 
So we are doing extensive work all across the sectors in Australia and typically we were doing some of those uh, leadership development opportunities in a targeted way internationally and obviously that's been redefined and uh, with COVID uh, we also work in terms of policy and strategy, so working on big strategy pieces for systems. I'm working on one at the moment, um, mm. uh, another couple of those, uh, taking strategy from a system level right through the classroom and looking mm. at that. We're also looking at issues and supporting and working with um, systems on terms of sustainable change. So how do we assist systems or schools um, in terms of reform and change? And that brings us to the end of today's discussion with Dr. Stephen Brown. In the show notes for today's episode, you will find some links to the Brown Collective's resources as well as those questions for leaders to ask themselves that Dr. Stephen spoke about. Wherever you are in your teaching profession, I wish you all the best. And please join us next week for episode number 22 of the Teacher's Guide podcast.